Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. How are we doing today? We doing all right? It's a rainy, cold winter break for the school system, and man, you made it. You did it. Congratulations. We're glad you're here. Now, we're thankful that you're here. We never take it for granted that you are here. This is just such an exciting time to be at Canton Church. Uh, you know, for us, as we kind of look back over what God has done over this last year, and, and really over the last couple of years, we just continue to be amazed at how God continues to work, and the things that God is doing, and the life change that's taking place, and uh, just so many amazing things in various places throughout our church. But a little over a year ago, so uh, maybe 55, 56 weeks ago or so, we moved into the expanded space. So up to that point, since we had been in this facility, uh, we had been in about 9,000 square feet. We picked up about 3,000 more square feet in that expansion. We, I, I'm standing right now where some of you used to get your nails done in the nail salon that's now in another part of the building. Uh, we also went that way so that we could create some office space to take the existing offices and turn those into kids overflow type space, multi-purpose rooms to use for life groups. And right now they're doing Canton Life, our, our connections uh, class during the 11 o'clock service. And so, so many things were just exciting in that season as we were like, oh, we're making more space. And then what was amazing is we, we created more emptiness, and then God filled it, and so we continue to find ourselves bumping up against capacity numbers yet again. So, uh, you know, for us, it's not just about this room. It's also about the fact that even though most of our volunteers and our staff, we all park in the lower parking lot, almost every single Sunday we're out of parking space here. Uh, and then even though in our expansion we picked up two brand new restrooms down this hallway back over here, um, at least one of the gender restrooms normally has a line. I'll let you guess which one that is. Uh, last week I was standing in the lobby between services and I said to a lady who appeared to be lost, I said, can I help you? She said, I'm just waiting on the restroom. I said, oh, we have some extra restrooms down the hall. She said, I've already been there. They're full too. I'll just wait right here. I was like, okay, my bad. So sorry, you know. But, uh, you know, so if you weren't paying attention. It's the ladies' restrooms that we're continuing to kind of have a run out of space. Our, our kids' space continues, our kids' ministry continues to grow. We're running out of space in some of those environments. So some of our Sunday mornings, we kind of reach capacity or exceed it, and we have to move kids around for some of the ministry time. And so it's really exciting what has been happening there. Uh, but not just that, as we kind of actually look at the numbers, we see that over the last six months, our attendance has increased more than 20% uh, over that same six-month period before and so we see that growth, and we're like, oh, thank you, Lord, for that, and that's incredible. Um, but we also recognize that even over the last few weeks, um, in February, last year, February was like our lowest attendance month. Historically, February has been uh, an awful attendance month for us on average attendance, just for school breaks and weather and all that kind of stuff. But two weeks ago, we had 99 more people than we had the same Sunday that previous year. Last week, we had like 75 more people than we had the same Sunday last year, and they've already counted today. We're over 100 more people today than we had the same Sunday last year, and so we go, well, praise God for that. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And so you think, well, that's incredible. So, you know, great. That's what's happening right now, but it gets, it gets worse, okay? Because month to month, the biggest jump in our calendar year for where attendance increases is from February to March. For whatever reason, uh, our attendance every year has jumped pretty dramatically from February to March. I asked them to put this up here. So in 2016, we saw just from the increase between February and March, we saw an increase in average weekly attendance of 79 people. 
All right. In 2017, it was only an increase of 39, which is still a huge number. And then in 2018, it was plus 76. That's just a move from February to March. We just flip the calendar over one page or scroll up on the iPhone calendar. And we're just talking about one week to the next, one month to the next. We've seen this kind of increase month to month. So we go, okay, well, what in the world is going to happen in March if, you know, even though February is historically down, we're up 90, 100, 78, 105, whatever, per week in February. What happens if another 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 people show up in March? What are we going to do? Well, we're not going to sit on our hands and just hope and pray because hope is not a strategy. We're going to say, what can we do in preparation for this? So beginning in two weeks, everybody say two weeks. We start our brand new spring service schedule, which is 8, 30, 10, and 11, 30, Okay. Yep, woohoo, I got a woohoo over here. So here's what you got to do. When you look at this, some of you are going to go, okay, so next week I got to be here at 8.30. Well, if you do, you can join us for pre-service prayer for our 9.30 service because we won't have an 8.30 next week. Everybody say two weeks. March the 3rd, three services. March the 3rd, it's dwindling. March the 3rd, three services. So here's what you got to do. You got to look at that and you got to go, okay, which service do I want to be a part of? Which service do I want to attend? And so many of you right now are feeling the tug of the Holy Spirit to come at 830. And I know that. And I'm believing that because some of you are like, that's an ungodly hour. No, God's going to be here with us at 830. So we invite you to join us. No, here's what we're asking for real. We're asking some of you to be missionaries to 830. Because we know that guests are going to come at 10 and 11.30. And so we're asking you to make yourself a little uncomfortable so that guests can be more comfortable here. And so we're asking some of you to come at 8.30, be a part of that, so that we can create continued space uh, to receive more people. The other thing that we're asking you to do is not just to decide which service you're going to attend. We also are saying, hey, if you're not yet serving, we would love to have you jump into a serving role. All of our serving, I got some woohoos right there for sure. All of our serving teams have kind of opened back up. We've got roles for you, places for you to plug in and really be a part of contributing to what God is doing here to serve people that continue to come week after week. And you can serve our kids. You can serve in guest services. You can serve here in the auditorium in a variety of ways. We'd love for you to think, okay, which service do I want to attend and which service do I want to serve and be a part of in that way? So we're excited. New spring service schedule. It starts when? Two weeks? March 3rd, three services. All right, so you got to be you got to be in on that. I want to tell you a story. So a couple years ago, this, this happened several years ago. Um, there was a, a guy, young guy. I say young; he's younger than me. Um, kind of early thirties. He was the kind of guy that man you would look at and you go, yeah, super successful. He was in church as a kid. Uh, he, he lived. He was he was raised in kind of a, a blended family. Lived with his mom and and lived with her husband, who was really kind of his stepdad. And uh, this was a guy, like, when you looked at him, you would think he is the picture of success. He's the picture of relationship kind of wins. Like, he, he always seemed to have, you know, three, four, five, ten, twelve guys right around him every time that you looked. I mean, he was just right there. He, he, he started working for his dad when he got old enough, and so he was working with his dad for a little bit. And then he developed, like, hey, I've got a passion. And, and so he kind of branched out on his own and started chasing what he believed he was just, like, created and equipped to do. And so he chasing that. And, man, everywhere he turned, he seemed to be successful. Just continued, it continued to grow and grow and grow. And so it's like, man, that's incredible. But yet, like any major success story, there was obviously the, the haters. I mean, people continued to kind of attack, you know, what he was doing and his methods and all the things that he was doing to kind of, you know, grow this thing. And so uh, unbelievably, one day, just shocked to everybody, it seemed like, one day, one of his like best friends, kind of business partners, had turned on him and had brought the authorities 
and he was ambushed and completely like arrested, taken to jail. And then as a part of that, he, he, was, he went to trial. The witnesses lied about him and he was actually sentenced to death. Maybe, maybe you heard this story. So he was sentenced to death. And so, you know, the, the time passes, he gets to the day of his execution. And even though he was the picture of success, even though so many people were friends with him, and man, there were so many people around him all the time, on the day of his execution, it comes time for him to die. All those friends, gone. All those people that were kind of with him in this, gone. And just before he dies, he just kind of leans his head back and says, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? I'm talking about the story of Jesus. Early 30s, grew up in church, raised in a blended family. Some of you are like, I still don't get it. Picture of success, always had three, five, ten, twelve guys around him, worked for his dad, branched out on his own. Picture of success until one of his friends betrayed him, the authorities ambushed him, he's arrested, he goes to trial, they lied about him. Execution, some of you still don't get it. Just tell your neighbor on the way out what, it, how, what that kind of... Here's the deal, at the end of his life, he's hanging on the cross, he looks up, all of his friends have deserted him. And as he's suspended between heaven and earth... He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I can't say that I know exactly what he felt, but like many of you, there have been moments in my life where I felt forsaken. I felt abandoned. When the going got tough, those people that said they'd be with me or got going, <laughs> you know. And so I recognize that maybe we can't equate to everything that Jesus felt in that moment, but perhaps we can take what he felt and apply it to some of the things that we have felt. Today, we want to continue in this L Word series as we talk about loneliness. Two weeks ago, I, I talked about the idea of lust. What is lust? What is it? What is it not? If you, if you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and listen on the podcast. Last week, Corey, my wife, came and helped, and we, we talked about this idea of loving relationships, and we looked at six attributes of people who were in loving relationships. And so today, I want us to look at this idea of loneliness. And as we've done each week, when we start talking about this word, I want us to define this word because I believe it's so important. So many of us have various definitions for these words that we're talking about. And so I went to the dictionary this week and I looked for so many different things that would help us to understand what we mean when we say loneliness because everybody has a different picture in their mind. And so this is the best def definition that I could come to. It says sadness because one has no friends or company. Sadness because one has no friends or company. Well, here's the problem with that definition. I've met a lot of people who have friends, they have relationships, they might even be married. Corey and I have met with married couples, or we've met with one or the other spouse, and they're living in the same house, sleeping in the same bed, and yet they say, I am lonely. People that have friends, more friends than you think any one person needs, and yet they say, I'm so lonely. So how, how is it that they feel lonely? Because if this is the definition, it's a sadness because you have no friends, then what sadness do you feel? What emotion do you feel when you have friends, when you have company, when you have a companion, when you have a spouse, and yet you still say you feel lonely? What is it that they mean when they say that? Well, today what I want us to do is I want us to look at this idea in a little different way because I believe that loneliness is more than relationships. It's more than finding your spouse or romantic relationship or even companionship. I think that loneliness, it goes beyond just kind of being in a vulnerable relationship. I believe that it goes beyond being married. or it go, It's not just for singles. And so what I thought we would do today is we would start with three lies related to loneliness. 
three lies about loneliness. The first is this, loneliness is only for singles. Loneliness is only for, I think that's a lie. I told you, I've met couples who are married, and from the outside, it looks like their marriage is super healthy, and they're winning in life, and yet they would say, no, I'm lonely right now. So loneliness is not just for singles. The second lie is that lonely people don't have friends. That's a lie. Again, there's so many people that are in relationships, friendships, and yet they would describe themselves as lonely. And the third lie about loneliness, I believe, is that loneliness goes away with the right relationship. I believe that it supersedes relationships. I believe it's about something else completely. Now, that doesn't mean that if you're here today and you have uh, ever or you currently are experiencing what you would define as loneliness, that it's not perhaps that you're missing a relationship or two or that some of the relationships that you have don't go deep enough for you not to feel that way. But again, I think if we will kind of dig deeper into this, this idea, this topic of loneliness, we'll see some other truths that come out. So I want to redefine loneliness today, as we've done every week, from God's Word. And I believe if we read through God's Word related to this aspect, this idea of loneliness, we would come up with this definition. Lacking relational wholeness. Lacking relational wholeness. Now when I say that, again... I told you it was about more than relationships, but I definitely think relationships are a part of what we say or we're talking about when we talk about loneliness. But I think this idea of lack is something that's missing. And I think the idea of wholeness, which we'll unpack in a minute, talks about the state that we may find ourselves in. We feel like there's just something we're missing. There's something that's not complete there. And so if we're talking about what we believe loneliness to be from God's word, I would say it's lacking relational wholeness. And as we go into this, I thought we would use those three words to kind of give us some buckets, some spaces to kind of to land, to really understand loneliness in a new way. And the first of those is lacking. The question for us today, if you feel lonely in any way or if you ever have, is what is it that you lack? What is it that you lack? Is, is it that you feel like you're lacking something in your life? Are you lacking a friendship? Are you lacking companionship? Are you lacking the confidence that comes in being in a relationship? Are you lacking the acceptance that you feel when someone chooses you? Are you lacking some type of stability or security? I think if those are the questions that we're asking, then perhaps that's why we can get to that place in marriage relationships where we say, hey, I'm, I'm married. I'm in a committed relationship perhaps, but I don't feel stable. I don't feel secure in this relationship. I don't feel accepted. I feel like they're always looking for something better beyond me. And so even though I'm in a committed married relationship, I'm wearing a ring, I don't feel stable. I don't feel secure. I don't feel accepted. I don't, I don't feel confidence coming from this relationship. I don't feel companionship from my partner. Or perhaps you are single in the room and you're saying, hey, I desire to be married, or I desire to be married again, and I feel like there's something missing. What is it that you are lacking? Is it just companionship? Is it just the deep friendship? Is it the vulnerability, the intimacy that comes from these types of relationships? Because if you can answer these questions, then I think what comes out of that is then you'll know why you're looking for what you're looking for. Now, what I didn't say is you'll know what to look for. I don't think that's fair. We're going to unpack that in a second. But if you know what you're lacking, then you'll know why you're looking for what you're looking for. I think about when I go to buy a car. Now, some of you that know me, you know that I don't spend a lot of money on my car. We put Corey and the kids in a good car. I just get in something that takes me from point A to point B. That's really all I'm worried about. A couple things in my car hunt. I bought a car one time online, flew up to Cincinnati, went and found the car. Yep, liked it. It looked good. Got in the car, was driving it home from Ohio. I hadn't been in it an hour, and the front right headlight popped out and was somewhere on the interstate. I just thought, well, not going back for that. This is going to be a one headlight car. Like, I just, I don't care. 
I'm driving an 04 Dodge Durango right now. I took it through the car wash the other day, and part of the bumper fell off. I, I'm sorry. It's just it's kind of rusted out, and so it happens. You know, it's just, it is what it is. But here's what happens when I go shopping for a car. I'm always looking for a feature or two. Maybe it's not the same features you're looking for, but I'm looking for some certain features. We're a family of six. I'm usually looking for a car all six of us can fit in. That way, if Corey's car is out of commission or we need to take my car somewhere, all six of us can kind of fit in that car comfortably. And so the car that I've got, has got a third row. It doesn't have a lot of extra trunk space when the third row's up, but it's got a third row if we need it. So I'm, I'm usually looking for third row. Six can fit in this. The other feature that I'm usually looking for is we're, you know, kind of a ball family. We play sports. We do all that kind of stuff, which means we're getting in the car nasty most of the time. Practice is over. The game's over. And so I'm not usually looking for cloth seats because eventually those cloth seats are just going to look like red clay is really what they're going to look like. And so I'm looking for like leather, vinyl, something, just anything I can kind of wipe down with a Clorox wipe or something every now and then. And so that's a feature. Here's the problem. When I walk onto the car lot, I tend to forget those things and I get enamored with what it looks like on the outside. <laughs> That's got both headlights. That's the one I want. There's no visible rust on that one. That's the one I want. I know I, and I tend to not even ask, the, can six people fit in that? Well, it's got cloth seats. Okay, I'll take it. I mean, I just, because here's what happens. When we rush, we compromise. And in so many relationships, we lay aside the things that are non-negotiables when we become enamored with what we think we want. Something catches our eye and we lose hold and grasp of what was a non-negotiable just a few moments before. And when we rush, we compromise. And so when we know what we're actually lacking, when we know what it is that we're truly missing in our life, then it allows us to go, okay, well, then I know why I'm looking for the things I'm looking for, but I'm actually going to trust God to do the work to help me kind of with the things that I'm lacking. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 say this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It could be that God is working in me to give me what I lack through perseverance and my faith in this season that he's doing. God wants to do it in me and not have me look for it in someone else. So it could be that in dating relationships or even a future marriage or the friendships that I'm seeking, that I shouldn't be looking for what I lack in someone else. I should be trusting that God is continuing to work in me. Here's the way I said it. I can't just look for what I lack. I can't just look for what I lack. And could it be that our loneliness is a result of unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expect. We're looking for things in other people that is not realistic for them to have or possess because of what we lack. The second component of loneliness that I want to look at today is the relational aspect. It's lacking relational wholeness, I believe. So I want to look at the relational aspect. Now, I realize some of you, you feel lonely. You feel that way because you're lacking some relationships in your life. Maybe it's that you, you don't have a spouse or a romantic somebody that you desperately desire. Maybe you're, you're just seeking a best friend or maybe a group of, of friends for your life. And so because you feel like you're lacking those relationships, that's the relational piece that you are missing. And I don't want to be insensitive to that in any way. But I think it goes beyond that. I think that it, it takes us to really evaluate some things for a moment, relationships are important. Look at this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. It says, Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. 
There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This, too, is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So relationships are important. We aren't meant to live in isolation. We need other people. But I also think that there's some misunderstandings about relationships. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about your best friend from middle school. Some of you, that was a long time ago. That was like black and white TV in your memory right there. You're trying to think, okay, that was before they made it color. Okay, so here's the deal. Who was your best friend in middle school? Right? You don't have to call it out. Who was your best friend in high school? All right? Some of you, that's an easy thing. You're just thinking about the people that you'll see next week at school. All right? So who was your best friend? Who, who was your best friend five years ago, ten years ago? Now, if you're married, I'm not talking about your spouse. I'm saying go one step beyond that perhaps. Who was your best friend 5, 10, 15 years ago? Who, who was in the group of people that you would call or would call you on Friday or Saturday night to go to the movies, go to dinner, play cards, whatever it is that you would do on Friday or Saturday of the weekend? Who are those people? Now, here's the question. How many of those people are still your best friend? How many of those people are still in that group of people? Here's a misconception about relationships. We assume that all relationships are forever. Now, we live it out and we recognize that that's not true, but the connectivity of our world through Facebook, we feel closer to some people than we actually are because we know what they had for dinner last night, but we haven't talked to them in six years, right? And so the, the idea for all of us is to recognize like some relationships serve different purposes. It looks like this. Some relationships are for a reason, some relationships are for a season, and some are for life. Some relationships are for a reason. They serve a purpose in, in this time and this place. They got you through middle school. They got you through high school. They taught you everything you needed to know on that job. They were your next door neighbor when you had just moved to a new town and you guys were buddy buddy and man, it was awesome. It was for a reason. Some relationships are just for a season. It was just seventh grade science. It was just, you know, that, that dating relationship when you were both trying to kind of figure it out. And it was just that season of time. But some relationships are for life. And the problem is when we try to take all of our relationships and make all of them fit in one bucket, and we have some people that we want to be our forever, but they're just meant for our right now. We have some other people that maybe they are our forever, but we treat them like our, they're for our right now, and now they're our for never, right? Because we just kind of blew that one. And so in these relationships, we've got to recognize, like, what is the purpose of the relationship that we may find ourselves in right now? Trying to fix your loneliness with the wrong person won't help you find the right person. Trying to fix your loneliness with the wrong person won't help you find the right person. We have to recognize the importance of the relationships in our lives and the reason or the season or the lifelong relationship that exists there that we have to lean into. But the other reality is in relationships, we play a part. So often we blame the other person for anything that's broken in our relationship. They stopped being nice to me. They stopped doing this. They made me feel this way. And we don't own what's our part of this relationship. Proverbs 18, the first part of verse 24 says this. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. So are you being the kind of friend that you're looking for? 
Are you being friendly as you search for friends? Is your loneliness currently a result of you isolating yourself? Is it perhaps that because of past hurts or past pains or being vulnerable and someone using that against you, is it, is it possible that you are isolating yourself and then blaming others for the loneliness that you may feel? Pastor Andy Stanley related to singles that are looking for a spouse. He says it this way. He says, be the kind of person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Instead of just looking for something in them, some attribute, some quality that you're looking for in them, that you're checking, oh, they, they're funny. Oh, they're, they're, they're good talk. You know, they talk well. They listen. Okay, those, oh, those are good things. What are you bringing to the table? What kind of person are you becoming? How do you present yourself? Loneliness doesn't have to be resolved by finding the love of your life. So be relational. Invest in friendships. Add value where you can, and value will be added to you relationally. So if loneliness redefined is lacking relational wholeness, let's look at this last piece, the wholeness piece. The word whole means the state of being unbroken or undamaged. And some of us today whether we're single or we're married, are lonely because we don't even realize how broken and damaged we've become. This is not to make you feel bad. This is to cause you to kind of look inside of yourself and go, okay, what is the state of my soul? What is the condition of my heart? What is it about me that, that may be lacking? And then I take that lack and I try to look for that in someone else. There was a movie several years ago. I say several because that's now just anything that happened more than six months ago. So there was a movie several years ago named Jerry Maguire. This was Tom Cruise before he went crazy. Cuba Gooding Jr. Tom Cruise is a sports agent. And so, you know, he's, he's going through the sports agent thing. And as there any good movie, like, there's a love interest. And she has the coolest son in the world. He just says these really cool, profound things. It's like this little kid. It's awesome. And so at the end of the movie, he comes walking and he's blown it with her. He comes walking back into the house and he says, you complete me. And listen, let me just tell you, if you watch that and something in the inside of you doesn't rise up and just begin to like well up in your eyes, something's dead inside of you, right? I mean, it, Tom, you complete me. And you're like, I want to do that for somebody. I, I want somebody to do that for me. You complete me. Now, here's what we know. That's impossible. That's impossible. The reason that it's impossible is because it's unfair to the other person. And it's impossible that they would be able to fix all the stuff that you messed up, right? Or that other people messed up in you. The fact that you would look at the things that you lack and you would look at the places that you're longing and there's deficit there and you would say to someone else, I put the weight, I pass the buck to you, I acknowledge I'm not whole and I'm asking you to do unbiblical math. Here's what I mean by unbiblical math. In a dating relationship that leads to marriage, Scripture in several places said that they would leave father and mother and the two would become one. Now, when you take your math textbook, that doesn't make sense. Because what we, we were taught was that one and one makes two. But in biblical math, two becomes one. 
And so many of us recognize that we are not whole and that we do lack. And so instead of allowing God to do the healing work on the inside of us and to fill in the things that are missing within us, we just stop when we're a half and we find someone else that's a half and we say, can you take your half and my half and let's try to make a whole. And the reality in all of us is that that's why we find ourselves in relationships where there's a ring and there's commitment, but there's brokenness there. Because we've never asked God to do the healing work on the inside of us that brings our lack and our brokenness to healing in Him. And so we say, God, help me to be made whole. So if you find yourself in this season as someone who's single but desiring not to be single to find a spouse... I would say that it could be that your loneliness in this season is a blessing in disguise. For you to say, God, I know what I'm desiring. I know what I'm longing for. I know what I'm seeking in relationship. But God, would you use this season, surround me with friendships and other relationships that encourage me and lift me up and draw me closer to you. But God, would you use this season to bring wholeness to the places of my life that are not yet whole? Because marriage is just going to make you more of who you already are. And so if you're single, you say, God, would you continue to do the work in me that needs to be done? Some of us today, we're, we're already married. And while I'm not saying that you can be perfect when you step into this, if you say, you know what, I recognize as you're talking that this is probably the way I entered into marriage. I was good with just being a half and looking for another half to make a whole. And we did some unbiblical math. Maybe the best thing that you could do today is to have a hard conversation with your spouse and say, you know, it's probable that some of the issues that we're having in our marriage are the result of me bringing in so much unwholeness and offering that to you. I didn't deal with my issues. I didn't ask God to heal me and forgive me. And I didn't ask God to do that work in me. And I was looking for you to fix me. And I'm sorry. And maybe counseling gives you the opportunity and environment to really talk those things out and to flesh those things out. Or maybe God does a healing work in your car driving home today. Or tonight after your kids go to bed. Or in some other environment where you can have a tough conversation. Because none of us will ever be perfect. I'm not implying that you get all your stuff together before you get me. It's not, it's not possible. We all bring some brokenness, some level of brokenness and flaw into the relationship. But here is what I'm saying. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Everybody say this with me. I am a work in progress. I am a work in progress. Say it again. Here's, here's where I want you to kind of internalize that truth. You're never going to be perfect until the day of Christ Jesus. You're, you're never going to be fully complete until, until he redeems all of mankind. But we say, God, would you do the work in me? And so the question becomes kind of which way is my arrow pointed? Is my arrow pointed in the direction, in the pursuit of who God is and what God wants to do in my life? Or is my arrow pointed away from God and away from wholeness? And how I want to live my own life and the things that I want to do myself. What am I in pursuit of? If I say I'm in pursuit of God and God's work in me, could it be that God wants to continue working on me? And that maybe 
friendships in this season are the, the environment he wants to do that work. Maybe marriage is the environment that he wants to do that work. But if you are looking for someone to complete you, I'm afraid you're going to be sorely disappointed. And here's why. I want you to remember this. If you aren't whole by yourself, you'll never be whole with someone else. If you aren't whole by yourself, you'll never be whole with someone else. This is not to make you feel bad. This is not to make you feel like loneliness is because of something you did. Just welcome to the human race. But in this season, could it be perhaps that God is desiring to do a work in you before he wants to bring somebody to you? If, you'll, if you aren't whole by yourself, you'll never be whole with somebody. If you're looking for somebody to complete you, you're always going to feel like you're lacking. You're always going to feel like there's deficit. You're always going to feel like there's tension because you're putting on, a, on them a weight that's unfair to them. It's not possible. And so today, if you would say, you know what, I'm, I'm single. I'm desiring that kind of relationship that you're talking about. Maybe you just ask God, God, do the work in me that you desire. I would love to, to speed this thing up. I'd love to rush this thing and make it happen quicker, but I don't want to compromise who I am and who you called me and created me to be. So God, continue this work. Maybe you're married in the room and you say, hey, you know what, there's, there's some things you're talking about that I, I identify with today. There's some brokenness in me. Some things going on in me and I need to have a hard conversation perhaps with my spouse or my counselor or somebody just to address the things that are happening. But I got good news for you today. It may sound like I've been beating you up. I hope not. Here's the good news. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6 says this, He will never leave you nor forsake you. The second part of what we already read in Proverbs 18, 24 says, There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I don't just say that because we're in church. I say that because it's true. You'll never truly be lonely because God is always with you. And I recognize that some of you, when you think about your loneliness, you're talking about physical relationship. You're talking about a friend. You're talking about a hug. You're talking about a phone. I get it. But the reality is God is with you in this season that you find yourself in. And so without minimizing what you feel, without trying to make light of what you feel, I just want you to know that God is with you as you walk through these days. And that 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says that cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. He cares what you care about. He cares what you're thinking about. He cares what you're sad about. He cares what you're longing for. He cares what you're dreaming for. He wants to know what's in your heart. He knows, but he wants to hear you say it. And he cares about those things. And so I don't know what you walked in with today. I don't know if this lands right where you're at. Or maybe it feels like it's so disconnected from who you are right now and what's going on in your life. But i got to be honest with you. I struggled with this message probably as much as I've struggled with any in a long time. Because I recognize there's so many different places and so many different ways that you may be experiencing or have experienced loneliness. And I recognize that some weeks I'm able just to kind of wrestle to the ground with the Holy Spirit's laid on my heart to share with you. And this week I feel like I'm still wrestling with it. But in the first service today, when we got to this moment, the Lord just kind of confirmed that we were right where we needed to be because so many people lifted their hands to say, you know what, I'm lonely. I'm single or I'm married. I've got friends or I don't. 
It's not about that. I just, I recognize some things that I lack. I, la- I recognize maybe some ways that I've isolated myself and pulled back. I recognize that I'm looking to other people to complete me. I, I'm not leveraging this season of time for God to do a work in me, bring healing in me, and I'm lonely. And so I want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. I want you just to kind of take a moment, just reflect on who God is and what we've talked about today, what we've experienced together today. And for some of us in the room, I recognize that you're listening and you go, you know what, for me, as you talk, I, I think my issue is that I am not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're talking about God doing a work in me. You're talking about there being healing and you're talking about him doing some stuff and completing some things in me. Like as you talk about those things, like I, I'm missing that piece. And before I walk out of this place today, I, I want my eternity to be changed forever. I want him to forgive my sins and be the Lord of my life. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Now, if you would say right now, nobody's looking around. Personal moment of reflection between you and the Lord. If you would just say to me, Jeremy, I'm lonely. I want you to pray for me. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Maybe it's friendships I'm seeking. Maybe it's a romantic relationship, a spouse that I'm seeking. But I'm lonely. Anybody else? You can lift your hand. It's a safe place. Just God to do a work in your life. God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for this place. I thank you, God, that you are a God who hears us when we pray. I say that often now, but God, I am so overwhelmed and was during these 21 days of prayer and fasting that you hear us when we pray. So God, I thank you for that. I pray now for every person that lifted their hands to acknowledge their need for you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. God, we don't glaze over the fact that what we're talking about is we're talking about the supernatural. We're talking about you forgiving sins and changing the eternity for people in this room. And God, I can't do that, but you can. And so God, now I pray for those who lifted their hands and I thank you that their future is forever changed because of what you've just done. And God, now I pray for every person that lifted their hands to acknowledge that they are lonely. God, if they seek friendships, they just need a group of people to do life with. God, would you bring those people into their lives? Would you help them to be the kind of friend they're seeking? Would you help them not to isolate? Would you help them to be vulnerable, transparent, open themselves up? God, as they do that, would you bring relationships into their lives that would encourage them, build them up, strengthen them? God, I pray for those who are married in this room but still feel lonely. God, would you help there to be healing between them and their spouse? Would their home become a sanctuary, a place of healing and hope? And God, I pray that you would help them to find everything that you desire inside of that relationship. I thank you, God, for who you are. And God, we don't move beyond this moment. We ask you to do the healing touch now. Let your Holy Spirit administer healing right now for the people in this place that are longing for your touch. God, do the work today. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga. 